by the middle of the seventh decade of the first century, Christianity had spread from its small beginnings in Jerusalem all the way to the heart of the Roman Empire at the capital in Rome. And at that time, there was an infamous emperor named Nero ruling. In the summer of 64 AD, a fire broke out in Rome that eventually consumed a huge part of the city. And people were understandably afraid and understandably upset. And Nero became the focus of their anger and fear because there were rumors and some evidence that he was involved in starting the fire. And so in order to deflect the blame, he put the blame on the Christian community right there in Rome. And as a result of that, a huge persecution broke out and it was a very dangerous time for the believers in Rome. They had to go underground in some cases, literally in order to preserve their life and to protect themselves and their families. Also around this time, Peter, the apostle was martyred right there in Rome. And the people began to wonder what is going on. There was a time of fear and uncertainty and difficulty for the church of Jesus in Rome. Before he died, Peter wrote a letter to the churches. And this is what he said. Friends, when life gets really difficult, let me just pause there. There are certain difficulties that we have and around the world, Christians are still facing persecution. Uh, what we experience here in the United States doesn't even compare to what's going on in some places in the world, but we all have our difficulties. And what happens when we face difficulty? We begin to wonder, well, where is God in the midst of all of this? Where's the victory that we have been promised? And here's what the apostle Peter says, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Another translation, a little bit more literally says, you shouldn't be surprised at the fiery trials that you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. In other words, this is the kind of thing that we should expect. He says instead, be glad that you are in the very thick of what Christ experienced. He takes their attention and shifts it away from their own experience and reminds them that this is the kind of difficulty, persecution, uh, and experience that Jesus had. You're right in the thick of what Jesus himself experienced. And then he gives them a little glimmer of hope. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. In other words, this is going to turn out for your good and for God's glory. So today we are going to talk about, from the book of Mark, difficulty. And what we're going to say is that suffering and service, suffering and service to others are Jesus' example and our expectations as followers of 
Jesus. This isn't something strange. It's not something unusual. When you encounter difficulty, it doesn't mean that God's not on the job or that Jesus isn't on the throne. This is exactly the kind of thing that Jesus experienced and promised and told us that we would could expect as well. So suffering and service are Jesus' example and our expectation. So let's look at it together. Last week we started in that first chapter of Mark, and now we're going to continue. I'm going to pick up towards the end of where we read last week and go on with the rest of the chap- first chapter of Mark. We start out with Jesus summing up his ministry. It says, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. What is that good news? The time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. And that's what we looked at last week. So let's continue because the good news is all about Jesus. Uh, Verse 16. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit began shouting, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus cut him short. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. And then picking up at verse 35, Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up, went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. I thank you, Lord, that you... Uh, gave Mark the unique experiences that he had and the close proximity to Peter so that he could record this eyewitness testimony of your life and ministry. Lord, I pray that you would speak to everyone who is listening, give them exactly the word that they need to hear to know how to face the difficulty, suffering, and challenges that they are facing or will face. To remember that this is a path that you trod and a, uh, a way that you told us to expect. And that it shouldn't come as a surprise, but that 
you would be with us, that you would speak to and through us, and that you would use us in the midst of it. So I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. All right. So let's look at this again. This is uh, a little bit of review because we started out talking about Mark 1.1. This is the only place really in the whole, the whole book where Mark tells us specifically what he thinks of Jesus. He lets the story tell us otherwise. And he says, this is the good news, the gospel about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, the Messiah, and the Son of God. And those two aspects of his identity and ministry are put right out there, right in the very first verse. Remember we said last week that the Messiah or Christ was the promised kingly representative of God who would set his people free and put things right. He was going to set people free and put things right. That was the prophecy and the expectation of the Messiah. Uh, And so, But what we find is that the people had a different expectation. They had a certain expectation of what this would look like. And their idea was that there was going to be this conquering king riding in and fighting battles in order to free his people and establish his kingly rule. And of course, at that time, it was the Roman government who were the power that was in place. And so the expectation was for a general expectation of the people was that when this king arrived, that he was going to beat down the Romans. He was going to end their rule with the point of a spear and that that's how this king would establish his authority. But what we find is in King and Cross, the two themes of the book of Mark, that Jesus is the king who secures victory through the cross. His way of going about it. Yes, he was the king. Yes, he had the authority. But he was going to establish his authority and inaugurate the kingdom through the cross. And so that's where we come to this idea that it is actually suffering and service that are Jesus' example and our expectation as his followers. Jesus said that those who are the servants are not greater than the master, that the way that they treated the son would be the way that they would treat his followers, that his path is the same path that we would trod. So he laid it out. This key verse in Mark 10, 45 puts it this way. Jesus speaking says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So it wasn't about accumulating power and servants. It was about becoming a servant and laying down his life in order to establish the kingdom. And that's why we call this series based on Mark, King and Cross. That's who Jesus is and how he inaugurated his kingdom. And everything about the book of Mark points towards this. We hinted at this last week when we were talking about the structure of 
of the of the Gospel of Mark, uh, topically that there are two major sections that culminate in two astounding confessions. So in the first half, Jesus is showing and demonstrating his authority, and they get to this pivotal point in the middle of the book where he asks his disciples, "Who do you say I am?" And Peter replied, you are the Messiah. In other words, we believe that you are that kingly representative that is going to set his people free and is going to establish the kingdom of God. And of course, he was right. That was the right answer. However, Jesus immediately begins to address their expectation of how that would be accomplished, that he was going to be the king who established his kingdom through suffering and service through the cross. And then we see the second half of the book, his work on the cross, culminating in his work on the cross, that even the Roman officer who stood facing him while he was on the cross recognized that he was truly the son of God. And so his identity as king, as son of God, his work on the cross, even the Roman oppressor in the person of the centurion recognizes that this is how Jesus was going to establish his kingdom. We also see these two themes in the structure of Mark's gospel geographically. In addition to those two major sections culminating in those confessions, you can also see that parallel in the geography. It starts out that first half in Galilee. Then there's that transitional hinge point where Peter makes his confession and Jesus begins to explain what the Messiah really looks like. And that is on the way they're traveling. They're moving from Galilee south to Judea and Jerusalem. And then the third section, the second major section happens in Jerusalem. Now I'm going to recommend, if you haven't seen it already, that you go to the Bible Project and watch their overview video for the Gospel of Mark. It will be a great introduction. And you can see that it's these two major sections. It's who Jesus is, and then Jesus becoming king with that transition of Peter's confession right there in the middle, Galilee on the way and in Jerusalem. Another video that they put out visually represents it this way. The first one is who Jesus is. You've got that transition point and then how Jesus becomes, uh, how Jesus establishes his kingdom. So he is the king and he establishes his kingdom through the cross. So you can see how all of this He is who he says he is, but he's going to go about establishing his kingdom in a way that the people did not expect. And then the next little thing that I want to show you is let's talk about who John Mark is, because I want you to have confidence in what you're reading. And this is probably stuff that most people wouldn't know. John Mark uh, is uh, how he is often referred to to distinguish him from other Johns and other people. But John Mark is from a household of early believers in Jerusalem. In fact, when uh, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 12, Peter, a, a persecution breaks out 
in Jerusalem. Peter is arrested. He's put into prison. He miraculously escapes from prison. It was such an experience that he thought maybe he was having a vision or a dream. And when he actually is out of the prison and realizes this is real life, I'm actually free. It says when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. So they're in Jerusalem. John Mark is a part of a household of faith in Jesus, maybe a house church at that time. And so he is right in that circle of the early believers. He also became an interpreter and secretary to Peter uh, in the late second century. There is a church father named Irenaeus who writes, Mark, the disciple and interpreter of Peter, also transmitted to us in writing things preached by Peter. By that time, it is a well-established, well-known tradition that Mark was uh, associated with Peter and that he was his interpreter and his uh, disciple and became his scribe as well. In fact, in 1 Peter 5.13, a letter written by the Apostle Peter, he describes John Mark as his son. That's how close their relationship was. And then also, in addition to, think about this, he was there for the, for the early part of the church right there in Jerusalem. Then he becomes like a son to one of the original uh, apostles, Peter. In addition to this, he's also a ministry companion to Paul. When Paul and Barnabas came to Jerusalem, when they left to go back to Antioch before they took off on missionary journeys in Acts chapter 12 again, it says Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem. They returned to Antioch, taking John Mark with them. So he was a part of the early church. He was like a son to the apostle Peter, and he traveled on ministry, missionary journeys with Paul and his, uh, his cousin, Barnabas. So, uh, this is firsthand eyewitness testimony, the preaching of Peter that is included. In fact, if you read through the book of Mark, you'll notice that all of the things that happen in there, Peter was a part of and witness to what was going on. And uh, it just shows that this is eyewitness testimony. This was Peter's preaching that Mark is codifying and putting into writing. Now, what is Mark's purpose in writing? Remember how I said at the beginning that the Apostle Peter was probably martyred uh, right around that time that the persecution broke out in Nero's Rome. Well, in order for that his preaching to be preserved, it needed to be written down. So, as the first generation of apostles, of believers were passing away, it became apparent that they needed to preserve in writing what was probably circulating in a variety of ways and in a variety of places as oral testimony. As, uh, so they wanted to put that down. So I imagine that that was part of the motivation for writing the Gospel of Mark was that Peter was either at the end of his life or uh, gone. And so they needed to 
make sure that his preaching and his stories were preserved. So Mark does that. But also, it had been written, the Gospel of Mark was written with a pastoral purpose, with a pastoral purpose to encourage the suffering believers. You see, like I said, right at that time, after that fire in Rome, around the time of Peter's death, there was great persecution for the believers. And they needed to know that God was still in control and that this was actually the path that Jesus had blazed for them. And it was the path that he had promised his followers as well. It wasn't anything that was should be surprising or unexpected. In fact, it was the very way that Jesus established his kingdom through suffering and service. So suffering and service were Jesus' example and our expectation. And now I'm going to shift a little bit to the service side of things. Because what, what Jesus said was the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve to lay down his life as a ransom for many. And we have, as his followers, have the same approach that we want to serve. We want to contribute. We want to serve others. And so that's why the challenge for this week is to find some place of service. Now you're going to have opportunities to serve others whenever you see a need, you fill a need. Whenever you see someplace that needs help, you're going to help. When you go into a new situation, we're always asking, how can I help? But there are also places of official service, jobs that need to be done for our church family, to serve our church family, to accomplish the ministry of the church. And so now is a time where we need to start identifying, okay, now that we're kind of moving through this process and getting towards hopefully the end of the pandemic and uh, things are going to be different. This is much more like a relaunch of our church than it is just a restart or a return to normal. So we need to know who are the people who are saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to be a part of it. I'm available. I want to serve count me in. So that's the challenge for this week is just let us know. I plan on being there. I plan on contributing. I'm not just uh, going to be an observer, but I want to serve as well. So if you are on a platform where you can click on the count me in button, do that. Anywhere you are, text me, count me in. Text me to our church number 603-225-2550. And um, no doubt you're going to have opportunities to serve. No doubt there are going to be difficulties and trials and in some cases persecutions for followers of Jesus. But remember how I said Mark was writing with a pastoral purpose. He wanted to encourage his fellow believers there in Rome that no matter what was happening, that God was in control and that there was nothing that they were going to go through that Jesus himself hadn't experienced in some form or fashion or that he hadn't told us to expect in some form or fashion. In this commentary uh, by Lane, he states this really, really well. And so I wanted to read a part of this and also give you some of the scriptures that he's referencing. He gives a, a little section that was written by a uh, uh, 
Roman historian that was only one generation removed from the events that he's writing about when it came to the fire. The blame for the fire was placed squarely on the Christians and Tacitus writes this, neither human resources nor imperial munificence nor appeasement of the gods eliminated eliminated sinister suspicions that the fire had been instigated. To suppress this rumor, Nero fabricated scapegoats and punished with every refinement the notoriously depraved Christians, as they were popularly called. First, Nero had self-acknowledged Christians arrested. Then on their information, large numbers of others were condemned, not so much for incendiarism as for their anti-social tendencies. Their deaths were made farciful. Dressed in wild animal skins, they were torn to pieces by dogs or crucified or made into torches to be ignited after dark as substitutes for daylight. Nero provided his gardens for the spectacle and exhibited displays in the circus at which he mingled with the crowd. Despite their guilt as Christians and the ruthless punishment it deserved, the victims were pitied, for it was felt that they were being sacrificed to one man's brutality rather than to the national interest. So you see how dire the situation was, and it was into this context of suffering and persecution that Mark offers his gospel. On this understanding, Lane goes on, Mark's task was the projection of Christian faith in a context of suffering and martyrdom. If Christians were to be strengthened and the gospel effectively proclaimed, in other words, if Christians were going to hold their own and if they were going to accomplish their mission, it would be necessary to exhibit the similarity of situation faced by Jesus and the Christians of Rome. The gospel of Mark is a pastoral response to this critical demand. When the Roman believers received the gospel of Mark, they found that it spoke to the situation of the Christian community in Nero's Rome. Reduced to a catacomb existence, they read that the Lord was driven deep into the wilderness. The detail recorded only by Mark that in the wilderness, Jesus was with the wild beasts was filled with special significance for those called to enter the arena where they stood helpless in the presence of wild beasts. In Mark's gospel, they found that nothing they could suffer from Nero was alien to the experience of Jesus. Like them, he had been misrepresented to the people and falsely labeled And if they knew the experience of betrayal within the circle of intimate friends, it was sobering to recollect that one of the twelve had been Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. You see, Mark was writing to people about the stories of Jesus, but he was speaking to their experience. They were driven underground into the catacombs. Jesus was compelled to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. And then he was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. He was tempted by Satan. He was in danger from wild animals, but attended to by angels. He was falsely accused. 
the, uh, his opponent said he's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. So when people would falsely accuse them of being depraved and uh, just being outside of the norm of Roman existence, they could say, hey, Jesus faced the same kind of thing when their own family members or friends or supposed fellow Christians would, um, would rat them out to the authorities. They could read in the gospel of Mark that one of Jesus' closest intimates, Jesus, Judas Iscariot, would later betray him. And so in the midst of that, they would see that suffering and service are Jesus' example and also our expectation. So, what do we do with that? How does the example and the stories in this first chapter of Mark point us towards this example of service in the midst of suffering? What, how, how do we serve? Well, look first at that first section where Mark uh, records the calling of the first disciples. In Mark 1.17, it says, Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. In other words, I want you to be a part of my troop. I want you to stay with me. I want you to follow me. Let me teach you. Let me show you my way. And in the process, I'm going to turn you into a fisher of men. You will become people who draw people out of the world and into the kingdom of God. And this seems like a good place to point out that this is not automatic. And that all the benefits of being a part of God's family, being a follower of Jesus, being a citizen in his kingdom are reserved for those who surrender and commit their life to Jesus, who become his followers. Remember last week, it's not just mental assent. It's not just saying, I believe certain things. It's not even just saying certain things, your confession. It all has, also has to do with your decisions, what you do, how you respond to the gospel. And so if you want to follow Jesus, it's time to cross that line of faith, to make it official, to commit your life to Jesus and say, yes, we're saying yes to his forgiveness that he purchased on the cross. We're saying yes, that we recognize him as King and Lord, and we're going to follow him. When you do that, let us know so that we can celebrate it and so that we can resource you for your new life in Christ. And notice that it says immediately after that in Mark 1.18, they, and they left their nets at once. After Jesus called them, they left their nets, they left their business, they left their family, uh, they left their uh, home, and they followed Jesus. It points out that there are certain things that you have to leave behind when you are following Jesus. And so I also think that as we move into the next phase of ministry as a church, that we are going to have to leave some things behind and move on to some new things. So then in that next phase, they were amazed at his teaching for he taught with real authority. They took, he took the truth and he presented it to the people and they were amazed. Next thing he does is he heals. Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. So he calls his people together and then he goes and he teaches and he heals 
And then in this last scene, we see him praying. Before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. We see that even Jesus, the son of God, had to set time, decided to set time aside so that he could connect with his heavenly father, get his bearings, connect through intimate fellowship in prayer, and then he would go and preach and heal and serve. This is the king establishing his authority, and he does it through service. And so, again, I will challenge all of us to find that place of service, to just put your hand up and say, count me in where I want to join in. I want to be a part of Jesus' mission. I want to be a part of spreading his word. I want to be a part of healing and bringing wholeness to the world around us. I want to drive deep into that relationship with God so that I can serve others well. And in the midst of that, we see that there will be a time where that Jesus will rule and reign with all of his authority and in all of his glory. And he's invited us to be a part of his victory. But his path to that victory was through suffering and service. And he told us to expect the same thing. But the good news is that in the midst of that, that there is going to be an, uh, we're going to see God's glory and our good come out of that. Just like Peter told his fellow believers in the first century. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad that you are in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This, whatever this is that we're going through, that you're going through, that you will face, this is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that when things do not go well, that we never have to wonder if you're in control, that you are using all these things for our good, for those that love you and are called according to your purpose. Lord, I pray that you would encourage all of my friends my fellow believers, everyone who is watching, that whatever difficulty they are facing or going through, you are there with them in the midst of it. You went through something similar yourself and that it was through that suffering and service that you established your kingdom and that you're going to use this, whatever this is, for their good and for your glory. Help us to embrace your way and reject the world's way. Help us to walk the path that Jesus walked. And I pray, Lord, that as a result of that, that whatever suffering we face, that we will find ways to serve and that that will result in our good and your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.